It's an exciting morning. I was, uh, I was excited, looking forward to this week, uh, even though the topic today is joy and suffering. Um, it's kind of funny, you know, anytime you talk about things, God tends to make them very obvious to you, and so you have plenty of life lessons from the week of, and I wouldn't say that I suffered a lot, but there was definitely moments, and next week is uh, joy and death, so be praying for this week for me if you would, I'd appreciate it. Um, for those of you who got it, appreciate you laughing. Um, you know, we started out last week, we started talking through the book of, uh, of Philippians. And we're going to be going through Philippians through the end of the year. Last week we talked about basically an introduction to Philippians as well as um, joy and loneliness. And, and how we find joy and loneliness and how Paul found joy and loneliness being in a prison, far from his friends, but yet took time to encourage his friends with this letter. And uh, today, with being joy in suffering, I think there's some difficulty that may lay in, lie in this message. Um, there's many of us in here that, well, just to be flat honest with you, if you were born, you're going to suffer. If you were born, you're going to suffer. And it's all about how we do it. Um, there are so many questions we have. What is suffering? Where does it come from? Why does a loving God allow suffering? How do we deal with suffering. And we look at these and we see these questions and the first thing we need to understand is that suffering is very real. There are some religions that actually teach that suffering is a fabrication of our minds that, that take us um, away from God and, and that is completely the opposite because God does allow suffering. And it's just like last week that we talked about with loneliness. It comes from sin being in our lives and being in this world and that's where suffering comes from. It's a very plain and simple thing um, to understand in that way. But the question I think we need uh, that we have the hardest time with is why does God allow suffering? Why does a loving God allow suffering? Why, when we turn on the news and we see somebody who's been murdered or we see some little kid that's been abused or you yourself have had something like that happen in your life, why does a loving God allow something like that to happen? And, you know, when we really think about it, we need to understand that God is in the midst of our suffering. God is in the midst of our suffering and that God is at at work through our suffering. The question of a loving God allowing it doesn't really work for me. And I know that sounds strange, but it doesn't really work for me because it's like saying, why does a loving God send people to hell? And I've heard that question a lot. I've had youth ask me that question. Why does a loving God send people to hell? And the thing is, is God doesn't. We do. We send ourselves there. We have earned it. That is what we deserve. The better question is, is why does a loving God care so much about us that he wanted to save us from hell? Why does a loving God care so much for us that he wants to be there in our suffering and sit through it all? You see, we have the ability to turn off suffering. God does not. We can go to sleep at night. God does not. And those are things that we need to remember when we're asking ourselves these questions Um, what is the deal with suffering? Why does God allow it? I think the most important question that we need to ask ourselves, and this is the one we're going to answer today, is this. How do we suffer? How do we respond in our suffering? We've already said that if you're born, you'll suffer. I mean, before you were born, you caused suffering to your mom. Before you were born, you were kicking her, you were making her throw up, you were doing all sorts of things to her. During birth, I haven't had to experience it. I've been standing in the room when it happened. That, that is not 
joy um, that, that would normally go along. Uh, that might be where joy and suffering comes from, but that's some serious pain. And then I'm pretty sure most of you have caused some suffering to your parents since you've been born um, and, and maybe still are. I don't know. And we think about those kind of things, and while we're on earth, we will cause other people to suffer, and other people will cause us to suffer. That's just the way it is. We'll suffer emotionally. We'll suffer physically. We'll suffer spiritually. We'll suffer mentally, relationally. I mean, you can just keep going. We're going to suffer. How do we do it? One-third of the Psalms, one-third of the Psalms in the Bible are laments or cries of sorrow. There's a whole book of lamentations that is nothing but cries of sorrow. Every Old Testament prophet, prophet except for Haggai has at least one lament or cry out to God for what's going wrong in their lives. We will suffer. It is throughout the Bible. Jesus was born, and guess what? He suffered. He suffered. If you were born, you will suffer. And suffering, suffering really can bring some very low points in our lives. Suffering can just bring us down and question our existence. God, why was I even born? What do you have me here for? I can't take this anymore. I can almost bet that most of us in this room have asked that question at least one time in our lives. I can almost bet it. We have questioned our existence. We turn to God, though, in our lowest times. Because that's us pleading with God. God, what's going on here? We turn to God to ask for forgiveness. We turn to God to ask for help. And sometimes we turn to God to shake our fist at Him and say, Hey, I don't deserve this. And I think in my life I've been in each one of those stages. And I don't know about you, Karl Marx, well-known socialist and communist, actually once said, religion is the opiate for the masses. Just like when you have a headache, you reach for the Aleve or the Tylenol. When people have a heartache, they reach for God. And we saw that very clear back September 11, 2001, right after it happened. I mean, we had all of our congressmen on the steps of the Capitol singing, God bless America, try and get that to happen again. You know, we turn to God in times of need. We turn to God in times where, where we are hurting. And though Karl Marx may have been kind of mocking God and, and making fun of religion, it is the truth. God wants us to pursue Him. God wants us to chase after Him. God wants us to want to change to be more like Him. And sometimes it takes suffering to do that. Sometimes it's like when they purify gold, they heat it up to the point where the gold sinks and all the impurity goes to the top. It takes a real hot fire to get it going through. But the purities go to the bottom and the impurities come to the top and they scoop the impurities off and that makes it a more pure gold. That's what God's doing in our life sometimes through suffering. He's bringing us to that point. It's a natural response for us to want to pursue God in those times. But if I were to ask, can you show me your hands on who likes to suffer? I can't think of a whole, whole lot of people that would raise their hands unless that's where you find your identity at. Because there's some people who actually, and you know these people, that find their identity in suffering. And when it comes time to suffer, they want to be the martyr, they want people to look at them, and they find their identity in, versus finding their identity in Christ. They actually pursue suffering versus pursuing God in suffering. Most of us don't like to watch suffering on TV. 
Most of us don't like to read about in the newspapers or hear about, um, hear about statistics on the Internet or anything like that. You know, we don't, we don't like to hear about these types of t- statistics. The number of young girls that have been taken and sold as sex slaves in the last year is somewhere between 800,000 and a million. That's a stat that we don't want to hear about. The AIDS pandemic in Africa is unbelievable. 600 million people, people live in sub-Saharan Africa, and 64% of them have the HIV virus. 1.5 million of them are children under the age of 15. That's not a stat that we want to hear. 11.6 million children in Africa are orphans due to AIDS. That's part of where this Operation Christmas Child stuff goes to. But those aren't stats that we want to hear for one of two reasons. One, we don't like to hear about suffering. Or two, that makes our suffering seem pretty pale in comparison. And we want to maybe get the most out of our suffering. We'd like to really believe that all is fine in our world, but it's not. We'd like to stick our head in the sands and think that everything's okay. That what's going on around the world doesn't affect us, but it does. The thing is, is God can't do that. God can't turn it off. God can't go to sleep. He is everywhere. He hears all things. He sees all things. He is all things, and He is love, and He is compassion. And when He hears the crying out of that nine-year-old who just buried his mom with his own hands in Africa because she died from the HIV virus or complications of it, God can't turn that off. And we think about, well, where is God in our suffering, or how can God do that? He is right there, and He is a part of everything that is going on through it all. We suffer. Some in here have suffered more than others. I've heard, had a chance to hear some of your testimonies. And, uh, you know, the question isn't whether or not we will suffer. It is how long will we suffer, when we will suffer, and will it kill me? Those are the questions that it brings up. And this bit of information really started out with this question. How will you suffer? And this is the answer. Will you suffer either purposefully or purposeless? Will your suffering be, have a purpose or will have no purpose at all? What is it with your suffering? Will God be glorified through your suffering or will be seen uh, will he be seen in us and through us and, and will people be drawn to Christ because of the suffering that we go through or will it be on the opposite side? Will a bitterness come out and God won't be seen and nothing will be accomplished because of it? You know, I've suffered a lot in my life and I can get up here and I can tell you all about it and try and throw a pity party for you and, and make you guys say, oh wow, you know, that, that's pretty amazing. But the thing is, is, there's people in here that have suffered way more than I have. You know, I've, I've experienced divorce, been a child of divorce. I've experienced the death of a parent watching my, my stepdad be killed in an accident. I've watched my uncle die of the AIDS virus and his, his whole body just disintegrate. I've watched my grandfather have to deal with that because it was his son that was killed in an accident and his son that died. He had another son that fell downstairs and bled to death when he was four. Watching the pain and hurt that went on my grandfather and then for him to be afflicted with cancer and die of cancer you know, it was, it's one of those things that, that you're just like, what's going on, God? And we ask that question. And it's so hard to say, well, yeah, because there's sin in the world, that's the reason why we suffer. That's a hard answer to swallow. It's the true answer. It's a hard answer to, to really take in, though. It's a hard thing to say, yeah, God's making me who I am because of the suffering. But honestly, 
I would not be standing here right now today if it had not been for the suffering that God had put me through. If my parents had not gotten divorced, I pretty good chance would not have become a Christian, and I pretty good chance wouldn't be preaching since I wasn't a Christian. Um, those things all kind of fall into place. I wouldn't have probably chosen the school that I went to if my stepdad hadn't been killed in an accident, which would have led me to the position that I got to be a youth pastor, which led me to this position here. There, there's all sorts of questions that are out there. And like I said, I, you might be looking at me saying, Matt, you have no idea what suffering is, and you're right. In your life, I might not, because I know some of the things that you guys have had to go through. And I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And you say, you have no right to tell me about suffering. You have no right. And you might be right. I might not have that right. But Paul, I think, does. And Paul's the one who wrote in the book of Philippians. I want you to see some of the suffering that Paul went through. And he didn't really brag about it much. But throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, he tells about the things that he had to go through. If you would, please, follow along with me in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. The first ones, if you don't have your Bibles with you, um, I encourage you to bring it next week, but this week it is up on the screens. First Corinthians, or sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says this, Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we were despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened. Why? That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The second passage I'd like you to see from the book of 2 Corinthians is found in verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. So if you flip over there with me. Verses four, verses eight, uh, chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. It says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in it, but life is at work in you. Take a look over at chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. It says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, impurity, understanding, patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, and truthful speech and in power with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet to regard it as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Are you starting to see the picture here of what Paul dealt with? Just wait till we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 21 through 29. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 21 through 29. It says, To my shame I admit that we were too weak for that. What anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are the Hebrews? So am I. 
Are the Israelites? So am I. Are the Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day at the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger from the country, in danger at sea. I am in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? You know, seeing that, seeing that as we flip to the final one in chapter 12, how many excuses do we make for not wanting to share the gospel? How many excuses do we make for not wanting to share the gospel? And when we really look at that passage in chapter 11, arrested five times, beaten, flogged, publicly embarrassed, everybody's out to get him because he's sharing the gospel. And we say we don't want to share the gospel because why? Chapter 12, verses 6 through 10, and this will be it for 2 Corinthians. Chapter 12, verses 6 through 10 says, Even I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think of more of me than what is warranted by what I say or do. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these suppressingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in the insults, in the hardships, in the persecutions, in the difficulties that we can slip in there, in the sufferings. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul has suffered much and he understands. He understands what it really means to suffer. And it's important that we know Paul and that we respect what he's saying here. Because I think he really does grasp exactly what is going on. Last week we talked about how this letter came about. Paul sitting in prison. He's sitting in prison far away from his friends at the church of Philippi. They sent a guy by the name of Epaphroditus. He went over to, to uh, bring basically an offering to Paul because the church came together. Paul was their pastor. The church came together to, to bring an offering of love, of generosity, uh, of service, and they tried to help him out as best they possibly could to help him get through these times, and he writes this letter as an encouragement in returning to them so, because these, this church was under persecution, and he knows exactly what it's like to be persecuted. He's sitting in a prison cell for having, for having shared Jesus Christ. So what I want to do this, this morning is uh, I want to go through Philippians verses uh, 12 through 18 of chapter 1. So if you uh, want to open your Bible back to that, we can. We're going to be reading from the NIV this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. It says this. It says, Now what I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. 
It is true that some preach out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for the life that he lived that can be an example to us. We thank you for what you brought him through. We thank you for what you're bringing us through. We rejoice in the sufferings. Help us to understand that. Help us to grasp that. Help us to understand who you are and what you are doing. We pray it all in your name. Amen. You know, looking back at verse 12 here, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He could have very easily said, these are all the things that have happened to me and gotten lots of sympathy and things like that, but he kept it short because it wasn't about him. What was it about? The gospel. The gospel of Christ. And that's what we talked about last week. While he was sitting in his loneliness, what it was all about was the gospel of Christ and seeing the gospel of Christ go forward. And that's a very cool thing that he does here. The question we started off with was, how will you suffer? Will it be purposeful or will it be purposeless? Will you be growing closer to Christ or will you be using your suffering to an excuse or as an excuse for sin, as an excuse for bitterness, as an excuse for hatred toward God? What are you using your suffering for? And how are you using it? Is your suffering allowing you to form an identity in it or an identity in Christ? Paul here is talking about this very thing. And this very thing is, is called, uh, I'm going to throw out a word to you here that you may or may not know, but it's called sanctification. And sanctification is the process of us maturing spiritually and God growing us in Him. See, there's justification, and justification is where when Christ died for us and we accepted Him as our Savior, we are justified in His eyes. That is, the, that is us coming to know Christ From there, our life is sanctified until we die. It is us being changed by God. You know, when we say here, our slogan is, come as you are, be changed. We could throw in the word, be sanctified, and and people would just be like, what? But we, so we just went with change, but that's, it's the whole process of change and change in our lives and us growing closer to God and us growing in God's grace. That's what sanctification is. And with that, that sanctification sometimes comes suffering. Sometimes comes suffering. So that leads us to three questions in our lives. Number one is, will your suffering compel you to love Jesus more? Will your suffering compel you to love Jesus more? Understand the suffering that he went through for you. Do you understand what Jesus did for us? Do you understand the, the even being born and having to live here? was suffering for him. He came from heaven, the place of perfection. He was sitting next to God. He was there, and he came down here just to live. Much more so, he came to die. All involved in suffering. Will our suffering compel us to love Jesus more? Second one is, will your suffering purify your motives? 
Will your suffering purify your motives? Sometimes we look to gain in what we're suffering through. Sometimes we try and use that to our advantage. Sometimes we try and make uh, others give towards us or you know, to make others feel bad for us or whatever it is, and we try and gain from it. Will our suffering purify our motives? Because we need to realize that we are suffering for God's glory, not our own. Will our suffering, number three, point us back to the gospel? How many people have wandered away from God and have gone through suffering that has brought them back to the gospel? I don't know um, how many of you watch the show The Office. I am ashamed to admit that I do. Um, that is one of my thorns in my flesh, I guess, that, that God has given me. But uh, this week was a very interesting show, and not normally would I say this, but it was, it was really interesting in the way that it came across because one of the babies was being christened. And they, the whole office had to go to church. And the writers of the show made it very, um, very obvious that some really don't like church. And they wrote into the characters that they were falling asleep during it and just bored and, and hating it and not wanting to be there. But there was also a, a, an aspect of the show where there was a group getting ready to go on a missions trip. And they just happened to be all in church at the same time. And they were excited about what was going on. And they could see the excitement you know, some of the members of the office are like, why can't we be like that? Why can't we have fun like that? Why can't we do that? Where are they finding their joy at? And they're all sitting there bored. They're hungry. They're wanting this. They're wanting that. Um, as a matter of fact, that quote from Karl Marx at the beginning, as we were watching the show, I started laughing because one of the guy go, guys goes, hey, did you guys bring your pipes? Because we're about to smoke some opiate that, that, for the masses. And just kind of used that and threw that in there at the fact that that's what church was about. And as I watched the show, I got to thinking, um, the, the head guy, if you watch The Office, his name's Michael. Well, he jumps on the bus at the end of the show to go on the mission trip because he wanted that excitement. He wanted, he'd obviously been suffering through things. If you watch the show, he's constantly suffering. Everything he does is, is suffering in his life. And, uh, and um, he ended up getting on the bus because he wanted that excitement. Does our suffering point us back to the gospel? Does it bring us into a better relationship with God? These are all part of the process of whether we have a purposeful suffering or a purposeless suffering. Do people see Jesus in your suffering? Do they see something else? We can't waste our suffering. As dumb as that might sound, we can't waste it. Paul didn't waste our suffering trying to get people to feel sorry for him. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. Um, he actually pointed people to Christ. He pointed people to grow in Christ. He pointed people to see Christ. And we see it here in verse 13. It says, um, well, first, the question is, is does our suffering bring opportunity? Does your suffering open a door for you to talk about Christ? In verse 13, it says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You know, the palace guard, he's, he's been chained up to a one-on-one -on -one guard through all of this. We see that back in the 18, or, or Acts, I mean, Acts 16, and he's, he's chained up to the palace guard then, and the chains fall off and the guard comes to know Christ. But he's chained up to this palace guard. And I think that's kind of a funny thing because they have just locked this poor man up to Paul, the greatest evangelist of all time. So what do you think is going to happen? 
If you're chained to somebody for 24-7, what are you going to talk about? Well, you're going to talk about Christ, and guess what happened? Because he talked about Christ to that palace guard who's an upper elite guard. There's 9,000 other of them. They go and talk with each other, and now 9,000 palace guards are all talking to each other about Jesus Christ. What are you chained to in your life? Hal, I'm going to answer this for you, because Hal and I have had a good conversation. Hal said his life has become work. You're chained to your work. Some of you in here might be saying, hey, I'm chained to my work. Some of you in here that go to school, I'm chained to my desk. I'm chained to my kids' practices and games. We're chained to things. Are you suffering through it? A lot of times, yeah, even that even includes kids' games. Yes, I understand that. But if you are suffering through it, are you making the most of that opportunity? Because I would bet that if you're chained at school and stuck there, there's people to share with. And you can show Christ through that. If you're chained at work, you can suffer through that and show Christ through it. What opportunities? Because you're stuck there. There's an old Audio Adrenaline song, and I don't even know if how many of you guys know who Audio Adrenaline is, but they're a, they're a Christian rock band, and uh, they had uh, AKA the public schools. That was one of their songs, and it was all just a challenge for kids to say, hey, that is your mission field. The school districts force you to go in it's your job whether or not you want to share Christ or not while you're there. You have to go there. They have to sit and listen to you because they have to go there too. And that's the whole idea here. Paul's saying, make an opportunity out of it all. He is chained to a captive audience. So are we. But it all depends upon what we're chained to. Are you making the most of those opportunities? Are you taking those opportunities where you're suffering to share Christ? On your chair... You'll see this card um, that I put next to the, the other info card I wanted you to fill out. The reason why I have this for you is I want you to find one person this week that you're chained to and tell them, hey, guess what? You can find joy in this broken world. It's right here. Come and visit us on Sunday. The map might get you there. It might not. <laughs> Call me. Call me and we'll get you there because I've given that map to lots of people and they're like, I still have no idea where the school's at. Well, that's okay. That's okay. And, and it's not the map's fault, it's the school's fault. I don't know why they built here, but they did. And the thing is, is uh, what a great opportunity. If you're chained to somebody and they're saying, hey, man, this is terrible. This is worse. I hate doing this job. You're like, so do I. But guess what? I found joy in suffering. You can too. You know, I don't know. I don't know how it all comes about. Um, and that might not come out right because then you might think that I found joy in suffering through church. Here you go. But, um, yeah, so, so try and word it right if you can as that goes. You know, um, E. Stanley Jones, and uh, he, he was a missionary to India back, uh, well, basically throughout the, the 1900s, and he worked with the likes of Mahatma Gandhi. But um, his, his big phrase was, don't bear trouble, use it. Don't bear trouble, use it. Use your testimony to show people who Christ is. I'd say a lot of the people that I really connected with and related to when I was going through youth ministry, I connected with and related to either through suffer, suffering and commonalities in the suffering or through uh, events and commonalities in those events. Use what God has given you. Look how Paul also uses it. Verse 14, it says, And because of my chains, most of, my, uh, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Does your suffering inspire others? 
Does your suffering inspire others? People became more confident of sharing the gospel because they knew if Paul could do it, and Paul could put up with the beatings, and Paul could do all those kind of things, and still sit in prison and possibly be awaiting execution, then guess what? They could do it too. They could get through it all. Will you suffer well? Will you suffer well? Will you find purpose in your suffering, or will it be purposeless? Will your suffering be a testimony to those who don't know Christ? Will your suffering be an encouragement to those who do? I think sometimes our suffering doesn't do either, because so many people have been fed false teachings on suffering. And I've heard these false teachings coming from pastors. I've heard people say it. I've heard Christians say it. And, and you know, I want to kind of tackle it just real quick, if I can. Suffering, um, when, when people are teaching about it, there's some things that we need to know about it. First of all, suffering is not avoided by having deeper faith. Sometimes we actually think, well, that person got sick because they just don't have faith. And it's been taught before. I've heard it taught before. And I will tell you that is a bunch of bull. My grandfather was the most faithful man that I have ever, ever met in my entire life. And he went through more suffering than I could ever imagine. Losing kids, going through cancer, and ultimately cancer getting his life. That is bull. So if you believe that, shake that false, false teaching right away. Suffering does not automatically make you more like Jesus. Sometimes we think, well, if I suffer, that'll make me more like Jesus. But that's not the case because we're sinners and Jesus wasn't. And some of our suffering just has to do with the fact that we sin. We uh, have job loss because we sinned and forgot to show up for work. We have divorce because we committed adultery. Those aren't things that Jesus did. So suffering doesn't automatically make us like Jesus. Suffering is not always a punishment from God either for our sin. That's talked about in John chapter 9, man born blind. The Pharisees asked Jesus, hey, why is this guy born blind? Was it his parents' sin or was it his? And Jesus says, neither. But God's going to do a mighty work in him. And sure enough, we still read about him 2,000 years later. Suffering is not to be pursued. I know some people, and you probably know some people, that actually pursue suffering because um, they want to drive the worst car and they want to make themselves look dumpy or anything like that. They want to take joy and those things out of their lives because they want to suffer and want people to look at them and I'm saying, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, that's not the case. That's not what's going on. You've got a pride issue and you want people to look at you and you want people to think you're suffering for Jesus, but you're suffering for yourself because God didn't take away all of our pleasures. There's plenty of godly pleasures out there that are there. Suffering is also not to be avoided. Sometimes... We like to try and take the path of least resistance, and that's not the case either. Suffering is not an excuse to let evil happen. Some people say that, well, God's using this man who is abusing me to sanctify me. No, he's not. God doesn't do that, okay? If it's breaking the law, God wants you to pursue justice and get that guy arrested. That's what he wants. Or woman, I don't know. You know, I don't know how it all works, but that's not the case either. Suffering is not an excuse to let evil happen. Suffering is not an act of a justification or atonement which is where that brings us to Christ. Guess what? Christ already took that suffering. Christ already took that so that we could be justified. He already took that beating. Suffering is not, um, doesn't always have to have an answer in this world. You ever wondered why God is doing this and it just never becomes clear? The only answer I think to that is God is good and we need to trust Him. Suffering is not beyond our sovereign God either. Romans 8.28 tells us God can use everything for His good. 
So those are some false teachings, I think, that sometimes that uh, we get caught up in. But suffering is real, and so is the goodness of God. False teachings have been around for a long time. You know, there's guys that were standing outside of Paul's prison cell that were trying to gain an edge up on Paul that we see here in verses 15 through 17. These guys, they wanted Paul to go down. It's kind of like um, there's competition sometimes between churches. And they want a church to fail so they can absorb all their numbers and they can become the next guy and they can get their book written and they can get those kind of things. That's kind of what happens here with Paul because when Paul goes into prison, all these guys start saying, well, if Paul were really blessed, he wouldn't be in prison. I'm blessed because I'm free. Paul's not blessed because he's in prison. I'm blessed because I have things. Paul doesn't. Paul gets beaten. I don't. And they started throwing those kind of things out there and saying these things negative about Paul. Look what it says verse 15. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, those who are preaching out of envy and rivalry, preach Christ out of selfish ambition, trying to get themselves higher up, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Though these people, people are preaching about themselves to get a bigger following and take away from Paul's. But how does Paul respond to that? How does Paul respond to that? He says in verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. So it doesn't matter what they're saying, but Christ is being preached. And because of this, I what? Rejoice. I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice. What is Paul's response to suffering? Is he bitter because he's in jail and other people are getting all the glory? No, he rejoices. And just in case, just in case we question whether or not he really meant it, he finishes up saying, and yes, I will continue to rejoice. Suffering, we're supposed to rejoice. That sounds sick, doesn't it? Doesn't it have a little twisted thought to it? Oh, I am suffering. Thank God. It's not thinking for the suffering. It's thinking Him in the suffering. And that's a big word difference there. He will continue to rejoice. And it's like we talked about last week. Joy is not so much of an emotion as it is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. We talked about having joy in loneliness. This week, we're talking about having joy in suffering. Rejoice. Joy in is a choice. It's a lifestyle. We rejoice in it and we find purpose in it. Because if we have purpose in our rejoicing, we understand that the gospel is moving forward. And that's exactly what Paul said. I rejoice because Christ is being preached. I rejoice because the gospel is moving forward. God is doing something in my life that is taking himself to the next level in other people's lives. What is God doing in your life that is taking you to the next life? Does your suffering compel you to love Jesus more? Does your suffering purify your motives? Does it point you back to the gospel? Is it bringing you an opportunity to share Christ? Is it inspiring others in Christ? How are we responding? Are we responding with joy or bitterness? Those are questions we need to ask ourselves as we go through these things. And like I said, some of you in here, you've suffered way more than I could ever imagine. But any which way, God can use these things. And we see that in Paul, who suffered more than any of us. 
We see that in what he is saying here. So my question for you this morning is, is how are you using your suffering? How are you using your suffering? And it could be minor suffering, and it could be major suffering. Are you pointing people? I mean, you might just have to suffer through this right now. You might just be suffering. I might be causing much pain to you right now. And I, I apologize, those chairs are still very uncomfortable. We're working on that. Um, I don't know what suffering you're going through. I don't know if you hate your job. But while you're there, while God has you there, rejoice and know that He is doing something in other people because like we've talked about before, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but St. Francis of Assisi always says, share the gospel always and with everyone, and when necessary, use words. And And that's what we need to do. We need to let our life and the suffering that we have to go through, the things that we're chained to, be something that shares Christ. You know, it, it's, um, it's kind of funny because I, I told you last week I was disappointed in the fact that we didn't get to move to Cleveland. And I've had a week to really process it and think about it. And, and um, you know, it still may or may not happen. I don't know. But whether it does or whether it doesn't, it shouldn't change the fact on whether or not we're reaching out to people. It shouldn't change the fact that that's going to make our church grow because we change locations. What's going to make our church grow is us inviting people and say, hey, listen, you need Christ in your life. Or saying, hey, listen, you're not growing and you need to be. And this is the place where it can happen at. Come to my connection group. Come to my church. I will do my best to get you there. I will give you this map and I'll do everything we can to, to make sure you can find this school because it's not about the location as much as it is about the people that are in the church the people that make up the church, the people that could be suffering here in this church and using that suffering for a testimony. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. And Lord, we look ahead to, to uh, what you have for us. A year ago this week, we were a, a few people meeting in a, in a small room. And now we are 130, 140, continuing to grow and reach out to a community that needs to know you. It doesn't change the fact that there are 91% of New Mexicans that don't know you as their personal Savior. It doesn't change the fact that the people that we work with are without you. It doesn't change the fact that there are people everywhere that need to know about your love and your ability to sit and help us through the suffering. Lord, challenge our hearts to be more like Paul, to not worry about the consequences But Lord, only be worried about whether the gospel is moving forward or not. Pray it in your name, Lord. Amen. I don't know where you're at. I say it every week. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know how your heart was moved or challenged or changed. But you do. And maybe it's time for you to talk to God one-on-one at your seat, or maybe you want me to pray with you, or maybe you're saying, hey, this whole suffering thing, this whole suffering thing that I'm going through, I had no idea who this God was, that he was there. I thought he was doing it to me just because he hated me. That's not the case. God loves you, and if you are here and you are suffering, you are hurting, I want to be able to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you haven't reached that point of justification and going through the sanctification process, Let's do it today. I'll help you. Somebody in your connection group would be happy to help you. Let's do it today. Stand and sing with us if you will. And uh, if you want to come forward, 
I'm standing here. If you don't want to, I would suggest praying at your seat. Pray at your seat and just get yourself right with God and understand who He is and what He's done and understand what the suffering is for. Scott, if you would.